Hello, I'm Christina Young, the founder of Gloucester Book Club. Welcome to our podcast. In tonight's episode, we'll be discussing The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. When Nora Seed finds herself in the Midnight Library, she has a chance to make things right. Up until now, her life has been full of misery and regret. She feels she has let everyone down, including herself, but things are about to change. The books in the Midnight Library enable Nora to live as if she had done things differently. With the help of an old friend, she can now undo every one of her regrets as she tries to work out her perfect life. But things aren't always what she imagined they'd be. And soon, her choices place the library and herself in extreme danger. Before time runs out, she must answer the ultimate question. What is the best way to live? Tonight on our book club panel, I have with me Zoe, Joe, and Tony. Let's see what they think about the book. Hi, good evening, guys. It's really good to have you here with me on the panel again this evening. We're going to talk about The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. So let's have a chat about it. And Zoe, tell me what you thought about that book. This is actually um, the first time I've read any of Matt Haig's fiction. I've read a couple of his non-fiction books. Um, recently read Notes on a Nervous Planet. Um, so I was really interested to see how a lot of his ideas translate into fiction. And um, yeah, there were parts of it I enjoyed. Um, there were parts of it that I disliked. Um, which I thought was similar to some of my quibbles about his non-fiction writing. I think he's a very, very engaging writer. I think he writes very well about mental health in a way that appeals to a lot of people. But some of the things that are found less enjoyable um, when you get into the multiverses and the parallel worlds that Nora goes into, is there's just like one chapter where he just lists the sheer number of worlds that she can go into and sometimes I think some of his aphorisms some of his statements about philosophy and life whilst they're really interesting they're a bit heavy-handed in a fiction book because it's meant to be coming from Nora's point of view but overall a really enjoyable read and I would recommend it to a lot of people for the themes of mental health and suicide awareness as well I think it deals with in a very good and a very sensitive way. So were you saying that you you felt that some of the lives that she went into were a little bit far-fetched, you know, a little bit? Uh, no, not quite. Um, I, I enjoyed the far-fetched lives. You know, I enjoyed the scope of it going from as small as being in Bedfordshire to as big as being in Svalbard or <laughs> somewhere like that. No, what I mean is that at some point towards the middle of the novel as she's travelling through these lives, I think I got a little bit bored with some of it. And I'm just trying to work out why. Maybe our discussion will help draw it out from me a little bit. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the scope of it. And I didn't think anything was too fantastical either. Tony, tell us your thoughts. Yeah, this is actually my third non-fiction book by Matt Haig. And the one I enjoyed the least of the three. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I think a subtle distinction. While there are clearly, I think in these books, mental health, philosophy, etc. There's lots of these messages in there. I felt in this book, though, it was almost the other way around. It was a almost a self-help 
book first in the guise of fiction rather than a fiction book first giving you insight and feeding your thought processes on mental health issues mm. so um, in the past the other two I would call traditional works of fiction mm. but you definitely made you think of things living for a very long time etc so I do think some of the other books fiction first something in there for you you know yeah. to broaden your horizon second this book I felt was the other way around it was almost I felt he had an idea of a message he wanted to pass on, an important message. But I feel he didn't translate that into a story, the piece of fiction, particularly well. And that as a piece of fiction, weak. As a book worth reading, very worth reading. Yeah, interesting. When you were saying that, Tony, the listeners can't see this, but we're watching each other on a screen. And we were all nodding our heads at that time when you were talking about that. I think we all agree that it seems to be... Bridging a gap between uh, self-help and fiction, maybe, you know, it doesn't quite pull that off. Um, well, you know, what do you think, Joe? Well, I kind of agree with Tony, really. Um, I was nodding away and I'm still nodding. I was think it was a bit on the pop psychology side. And essentially um, what Tony says is right. It's really a self-help book posing as a novel. And I'm not sure that it works really as a novel. As a self-help book, the messages are really important. I, I thoroughly approve of Matt Haig's mental health campaigns and his efforts to um, improve the nation's mental health. The ideas in the book were cleverly, cleverly got over and it was very thought provoking. So uh, don't want to be too harsh on him. No, exactly. Um, I'm going to start by saying that I really like Matt Haig and I think I agree with you, Tony. You were saying you've read some of his non-fiction, um, Reasons to be Alive and so on. And I've read that and I you know, thought we were excellent, really excellent books. I do struggle a little bit more with his fiction, don't know why. I just think, you know, this is a good story, good idea. Think about, you know, I mean, he's obviously trying to get the message over that none of us are ever going to have a completely perfect life. We're always going to have ups and downs. We're always going to have bits of our lives which are going to be better than others, you know, and, and times when we hit some really bad patches. I don't know. I wanted to really like it. It's had a lot of hype this book hasn't it it's, it's had a lot of exposure lots of people online when I've read reviews have really say it's excellent and they really loved it I, I did struggle to love it that much I'm afraid but I would thoroughly recommend some of his non-fiction books for anyone who wants to dabble with those and actually he is um, a very good ambassador for mental health and in particular men's mental health which, you know, doesn't get talked about enough, really, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's done really, really well with, you know, just bringing it up into the public's attention. One of the questions I want to ask you, you know, she spend, Nora spends all, all her time in this midnight library, which, for the listeners who don't know the story, is kind of like a limbo land between life and death. Um, don't want to give away too many spoilers about how come she's, she's there, but she is. If you had to choose a place which was your midnight library, where would it be? Any ideas, Tony? Where would you go? Oh, mine's very easy, a record store. Yeah? I could imagine flicking through the good old-fashioned physical, you know, re um, record store vinyl, flicking through the vinyl, looking through things you want, things you don't know, picking them up, look, feel. Um, so, yeah, absolutely a record store for me. You've stolen mine. I was going to say that, but never mind. What about you, Zoe? Where are you? Where are you going to be? 
Well, um, I was um, reading the Midnight Library um, sort of in transit this week. I went to go visit my sister in Essex and partway through I had to get the tube. Um, and I thought that would be my space because there's something really magical I love about being in London, being on the tube and people watching and sort of imagining all these different lives that you might go into. And I'm lucky enough, I didn't grow up in London, but a lot of my friends moved there. So I have a lot of memories already at a lot of the different stops. And I imagine you could get on and off each stop into a different life. So that was going to be my place. You would be constantly travelling around on the tube. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay. Joe, where would you be? Where would I be? Well, my, my midnight library would be a pub I found on the Isle of Wight oh. when I moved there as a young man to start my legal training. I was quite lonely and on my own, never been there before. And I found this lovely pub in Cowes with a, with a fantastic landlord who became basically a little bit like a Dutch uncle for me, a sort of mm -hmm. agony uncle. And I was very happy going there to tell him my worries and problems and getting advice from him okay. and we became quite good friends so it was quite a close bond we had okay. and I felt very safe there that's the important thing I think but any of these examples people give is you have to feel safe yeah sure so he would be with you in your in the pub and you'd be sitting on one side of the bar and he'd be on the other and you know you'd be propping it up with a pint be giving you his advice giving me his advice and uh, I mean, he, he was about 20 years older than me so he had a lifetime's worth of experience I can picture it. I can picture the scene. You've all read it. Which was your favourite life that Nora went into? Did you have a favourite? The life that I know I would want. I wouldn't necessarily say it's my favourite life, but Nora's most comfortable life um, where she lives with her partner and a child and she's lecturing at Cambridge. I mean, wow, what a life. <laughs> with a yeah. dog and she's got time for childcare. that ticks a lot of boxes for me wasn't my favorite life it's the life I kind of wish I had and I think she wishes she had too I really like the life where I think she works in an in an animals with animals and she seems really happy there as well yeah I can't, I can't quite remember what she's doing isn't it in her root life where she works doesn't she work with animals? In, oh, I can't remember. Uh, she works in the um, music shop in her real life. Oh, well, that's right, yeah. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's a term that I think books, people who haven't read the book may not be familiar with, but there's this whole concept of a root life, isn't there? As you're, yeah. like, start a life. Yeah, that's your real life, the life that you're living. Any particular, you know, episodes, lives that she went into, Tony, that you, you, you were attracted to most? Definitely the music one but not yeah. her version of it. I would probably, I don't know, if I knew this when I was a young kid, the because I love music, I don't know, I'd be, want to be the sound or light engineer. Mm. So no, I wouldn't want to be the famous person on the front of the stage, possibly with excesses, but the idea of touring huge crowds, arenas, different countries, you know, but being in a technical role in that kind of life, I think appeals. So you'd be on a support role then, Tony, not the not the rock chick that that uh, Nora turned out to be. The sound and light engineers, the person on the <laughs> stage is no good without them. Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure many rock chicks would agree with you there. Joe, what would you choose as your favourite life? Well, I, I agree um, with Zoe, basically. I think that the the happy life with the family is 
kind of irresistible, really. I mean, it's, it's almost the epitome of what we tend to hope for, to be happily settled down with a nice partner and children and a good life. But I must say there's quite an appeal in the, for me, in the Svalbard life. Ah, the yes, theology yeah. expert, or well, non-expert, because she didn't study it in the end, did she? No. Uh, but I quite like the idea of saving the world and the rainbow warrior type <laughs> the world, solving all the um, environmental problems of the world. Yeah. Is they being hunted by polar bears? In, well, yeah, <laughs> say that. That would be fine, except for it was so cold and there were polar bears coming, weren't there? And, you know, she was on her own at one point and had to send up some flares, I seem to remember, to, you know, to say, quick, come and help me. The polar bears are on their, on their way. The Book of Regrets is is a big part, isn't there, of this of this story? And when she goes into the library, there it is, the Book of Regrets. She's overwhelmed by it when she first looks in it. As she kind of experiences more different lives, I think she she starts to come to terms with things a bit better. Do you think that by considering the ways in which our lives might have turned out differently, that any regrets that you have just go away or do we simply learn to live with them now i think about it actually i'm surprised that living parallel lives didn't increase the book of regrets mm. it seemed to be that she was always removing regrets by doing some things um differently things that she would have changed but i think in reality if we were able to access our own midnight libraries Who's to say that, you know, going down a different path wouldn't create more regrets and we'd become aware of more knowledge of things that we'd missed out of that we wouldn't be aware of otherwise. That's my only quibble with it, I would say. Um, I love this idea of being able to erase all of your regrets, but I just, again, found it a tad too unrealistic for somebody who's in the frame of mind that Nora's in when she enters the Midnight Library, yeah. despite all the time that's passed. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to read you a quick quote from this book, actually, about this um, subject of regrets. It is not the lives we regret not living that are the real problem. It is the regret itself. It's the regret that makes us shrivel and wither and feel like our own and other people's worst enemy. So he's kind of saying there, is he not, that actually it's the feeling of regret, isn't it? That's 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 worse rather than the bit that we kind of feel we missed out on? What do you think, Tony? Well, that's a big... <laughs> big question for you, <laughs> no, Just the book of regret itself, when we got to that part of the book and it was all too much and she closed it, because I do think, and again, the whole self-help, mental health side of the book, you know, I would not like to dwell on regrets because I could imagine, and I'm assuming some people do spend probably a little bit too much time if I'd done this, if I'd done that, because I look at that as a very deep, dark hole, mm. um, you know, and I think, you know, her reading the book and closing it and it becoming too much for her. So I just think at the sort of heart of the book, I think this whole idea of regret mm. and thinking about it in of itself is a yeah is a big subject so yeah that's so that side of it and then you know the her individual regrets i think the to me one of the major lessons here is not necessarily the regrets some of them got the zoe was saying some of them were removed just a different 
flavour of that. Some of them got removed because through Mrs. Elm, through the past life, she learned to see things from a different view. Mm. It's the old you look but you don't see kind of discussion mm. because I think as the book went on, she understood her her core life, her root life better than she did. She was looking at her own life incorrectly, but it was only through seeing others and other scenarios that she better understood her own life. Viewed as regrets, that's from her perspective, look at it from a different perspective, it isn't. I think that comes through really strongly, Tony, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you seem to be saying as well that, you know, that there isn't really any point in looking back at things and, and wishing it were different because it's never going to be. So it's almost like a waste of energy. It's a waste of time to do that. It's dangerous, yeah. That's why I said it's a black hole. You know, you spend yeah. too much looking down there. That's sure. not a good place to be. Maybe. No, no. Because I suppose it keeps you there, doesn't it? It doesn't keep you in the here and now, mm. where, you know, you can hopefully enjoy what's happening on the day that you're in. You're looking backwards or into this black hole. What about you, Joe? What do you think? Well, I, I agree with you. I think that... The the problem with the um, storing up regrets and agonising over them is that you just focus on the bad stuff. And he's, he, that's clearly what he's trying to say to people is don't focus on what you think are the things you did wrong or should have done. Don't focus on your regrets, as it were. Uh, it's like the heart of darkness in this book. It's, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. as a black hole. Do you, do you think, do you, do you guys spend a lot of time thinking about things, what you could have done or paths you could have? gone down and how life might have turned out turned out differently for you yeah i'm nodding i do that far too much and i think what's really important is how matt haig links this as a symptom of depression i think like tony said it, it can be a, a black hole and unfortunately for some of us that sometimes in our lives we can fall into this black hole and so that the thoughts become all-consuming and i think i spend a lot of time looking back Despite being one of the younger members of this group, I don't think age has any relation to it. I think it's a lot about mindset and about your state of mind and your perspective and how you look on the world. Um, and this book did help me think about that for a little bit. Like I said, it, it's not my favourite book ever, um, but I like that it encouraged me to step outside of my present time for the moment and think about a multitude of different lives and different perspectives. And I thought that was really good. I think it's true, isn't it? This book, will, you know, whether it, whether it doesn't turn out to be one of your most favourite books, it actually is quite, a, it brings up good things for discussion. Definitely, I, I would agree with that, yeah. As the, as the story goes on, Nora finds herself in lives that she could be more satisfied with than others. Do you think that you'd be able to live as an alternate version of yourself if you were able to and would you want to? Joe, what would what do you say? Well, that's a very difficult question, isn't it? Because if you change something about yourself to, to live as a different person effectively mm. what, you don't know what all the other factors are that make you who you are will be lost as well um, so it's very easy to say I wish I hadn't done this or hadn't done that but a little bit like the butterfly flapping its wings on the other side of the world causing a typhoon next to you I would love the idea of being able to jump into a life which I fancied the idea of spending a bit of time in there and then if I didn't like it coming back out again I wouldn't want to be trapped, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be trapped in a life that I don't particularly like. But it, it would be nice, wouldn't it, be able to 
go into a, a parallel universe and see what you could have been if you were doing something else would you still be the same person that you are in your root life you know would you turn out to be a completely different personality that's a really interesting one I think what about you Tony you've got any got any desires to go into any other lives I'm not a dweller I, I do think in the past but I wouldn't say deeply but relating to the story mm. the one thing I did think would have been a big shift is if when she went into other lives she had the memories of herself in that life because yeah. every life she went in cold if you like quite literally mm. not who was in the room or walking out to do a presentation as an Olympic swimmer on stage in a band. So in of itself, you know, that, that would be terrifying. But I did always, and I did like the message in there. And I think the learning through the lives where she appreciated it's not her property, it's not hers. She went, as I said, she went in as herself 100%. And there's a part of me goes, I wonder what this story would have been if she went in as herself, but she had access to the memories of the, so she knew who the people were. She knew the song lyrics, mm. you know, so she could participate more actively in that life versus being a stranger to it. But yeah. there was nice learning in there and her appreciating this isn't my space, not even just the setting. Is it good? Is it bad? you know this isn't this isn't mine yeah. mm. did you feel i mean that you know there's some serious serious questions serious mental health issues that are brought up in this book and one of which is you know where people get to so desperate that they feel that they want to end their lives did you feel that he did a, a good job at kind of making you understand what had brought nora to those thoughts or or did you feel that you didn't have enough information about why she had got become so desperate i think we had enough circumstantial information certainly we didn't know about the history of nora's mental health prior to i think about 48 hours where the novel starts and you know immediately from the outset that she's feeling suicidal or she's going to be suicidal because it says so many hours before nora decided to die so Already, as you meet her in the introduction, you're primed with this information that she's starting to feel this way. Mm. Um, and I think for me, there's enough, there's more than enough to be going on in the last sort of day or so of her life to to really make her feel quite low. Um, you know, she loses her job, her cat dies, um, and there's a wealth of other relationships that she feels out of touch with and she feels that she's missed. And she, I think she really feels a sense of isolation and that people that once loved her hated her, including her brother, which I would find incredibly hard to deal with, I think, mm. given the circumstances. Yeah. What did you think, Joe, about it? I mean, did you, you know, feel that we had enough kind of information well, about... Not really. I think this is that's a good example of where it fails as a work of fiction. The, the self-help message is there right and centre, but the little little bits are missing of the story of Nora and her back her background. You have to piece them together later on when you discover about her her um, very dominating father pressing her into competitive swimming, for example. That that must have been a factor in making her the perfectionist that she became. And that brings with it all the problems that become apparent in other ways. I think that's the problem basically with the book, that the 
fiction parts are not fleshed out enough. Suicide rates amongst young people are pretty high, aren't they, um, these days? Particularly amongst young men as well. I think we talked about this. We have talked about it at our previous book club meetings. It is a serious issue. We've also discussed the fact that um, women tend to be people who overdose more often. And men tend to be what people who take a more extreme kind of, you know, that there's no coming back from. You know, that mm. they might jump off a, a high building or they might hang themselves. So, you know, it really brought home to me when I was reading this book how hard it must be for young people these days. You know, I was thinking back to my time as a young person, which is a very long time ago, I would say. <laughs> but I'm not sure we have the same pressures as young people have on them now. What do you think, Tony, about that? I think on, on that last point, um, you know, I've got a daughter in her 20s and, you know, back from uni in the last couple of years now, you know, I, you know, as I said, I've had opportunities to live life and bits and pieces. And I do feel more for young people, particularly mm -hmm. that, you know, especially, I don't know, if you haven't got a partner, you know, your mm -hmm. friend. You know, people have been living, I don't know, virtually, I suppose, you know, doing this and that yeah. personal touch, that personal relationships. I, you know, the last couple of years has been hard for everybody in many ways, which is why depression and anything to do with it is a very good subject, you know, including this chat. But, yeah, I feel more for young people over the last couple of years because I think, I, you know, I've got a whole bunch of history and memories and experiences that other people are being denied at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Zoe, you are the youngest person on the panel this evening. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so I'm 28 um, for context and I found some parts of the novel, uh, particularly um, as Nora is feeling so low about herself, one of the last things she does before she decides that she wants to die is to go through her social media. And I thought there was a really key line that Matt Haig used. I can't remember it exactly, but I remember it stood out to me. It was something like Laura was scrolling, I'm sorry, Nora was scrolling through her social media and everybody else had their lives figured out and, and she hadn't. Um, mm. And I'm a young person on the cusp of remembering a time when we didn't have social media or where we used it infrequently. And now as an adult in my working and professional life, I've worked with teenagers and young people who are also using it. So I can see the difference between the two things. And I think that in my experience, what depression does to you is it robs you of any opportunity of seeing the future. So I think the older that you do get, then the more experiences you do have, as Tony was saying, the more you can say to yourself, oh, this was like, this time when this heartbreak happened and I got through this so maybe I can get through this too when you're a young person you don't always have that context and it doesn't give Nora's age in the book does it she's in her mid-30s so she's a little little bit older than I am um but I can see in terms of maturity she's not had many experiences yet um and she has the pressures of everyone around her getting married and having babies as well I mean, I think one of the takeaway things for me about this book was try not to act on the thoughts that you're having about yourself, because mm. things can very quickly change if you just, you know, don't act on them. Uh, yeah, you can have the thoughts, but, you know, if you just give it an hour or a day, very often something will happen which will, you know, 
make you veer away from that path. Hopefully. And that is really good advice, actually, Christina. Um, when we do first aid, mental health first aid training or suicide awareness training, that is very much one of the first techniques that people can call on to use. So if anybody reading this book or listening to this podcast have feelings that may have been stirred up within them, like you say, one of the best things to do other than reaching out for help itself in the moment when your feelings feel really intense is to distract yourself, to say to yourself, OK, I'm not going to do anything now. I'm going to try and get through this next hour, this next moment, this next 30 minutes. And, and to go on from there is actually a, a really helpful technique in itself. Yeah. And not to forget as well that the Samaritans are there 24-7. Absolutely. You, you do ever feel that you need someone to talk to going to wrap this podcast up soon but before we do I want to go around and ask you what was your takeaway from this book I've already said what mine is really but what was your takeaway from it Joe? Don't dwell on regress don't even uh, think of it too much leave it alone leave that book alone. Able to stop dwelling on regrets since reading the book? Um, sometimes I'm okay at it other times I get sucked into the black hole and <laughs> there's no escape. Mm, it's not very easy is it? Tony, what do you do you take away from it? I think perspective and uh, this is how you look at things. It doesn't make it right necessarily. You know, there's other ways. And if you see things through different eyes or a different perspective, you know, yeah, things aren't always what you think they are. So um, if it taught me anything, it was reinforcing, I think, that message. You know, you see what you well, you look and you see but um, you know it's your version of it and um, you sometimes miss things yeah absolutely other people can help you see them yeah yeah and what would you take away from it zoe the power of imagination and reading being such a wonderful tool to escape yourself when you don't have the physical means you know to uh, walk into parallel universes i feel just reading about these lives has refreshed me and made me think about all kinds of alternative futures and you know even if they're never going to pass they're never going to be real to think about your life in different ways and to have that hope and that excitement about life is what it's all about and just to remind yourself of the power of imagination really whoa so that's our podcast done for this evening thanks for listening We'll be back in about a month's time when we'll be talking about Kazuo Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun. If you want to follow us, please catch us on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And you can listen to our podcasts on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts.